0: Take one. Good morning, brothers and sisters, and dear friends, and everybody who's listening to us on the video podcast and on the audio podcast. May the Lord bless you today. I want to talk to you today about the topic me, myself, and I. I know this is also called the Threes Company, my own Threes Company. Let me repeat that for you again, me, myself, and I. I want to talk to you about that today. It's also called pride. And Jesus, as we're going to continue in our study in the book of Mark, we're going to see that Jesus deals with this. And we're going to learn lessons today, not only what it is, but also how to deal with pride, how to deal with this three's company. Now, I want to lay a foundation before we go into Mark and go back to chapter 10, verse 35. I want to lay a foundation. And for me to lay the foundation, I want to go back to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Because we're going to see now there is seven things, six things that God hates. But seven things that is abominational before the Lord. And. Um, so we want to see what it is people you know if you talk to people they say God is love and the Bible talks about love and and the love of God and all of these things but there is certainly in the Bible things that's mentioned that God hates now in Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 let me read it for you he says these six things the Lord hates yes seven are an abomination before Him or to Him. So there's seven things that the Proverbs mention for us. And I want you to notice what he mentions and the first thing that he mentions. In verse 17, he says, A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked plans, feet that are swift, running to evil and a false witness who speaks lies and one who shows discord amongst the brethren. So there you have it. And we can speak and and I can preach a sermon on each one of these seven things. Now as we walk with Jesus in the book of Mark and as we're going to see there's something that happens we are going to see that Jesus deals with the first thing there. Look again at verse 17. What is the very first thing the Proverbs writer mentioned? He says, a proud look. And that is also, in fact, that word comes from the Hebrew word. Because the Bible in the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. It comes from the word room. Now, the word room means self-exaltation, exaltation, I should say lifting myself up, promoting myself instead of others. Now this kind of uh, reminded me of a story that I read about two friends. These friends went to a restaurant. They sat down, looked at the menu, and then they decided, both of them, to have the same fish fillet. And, you know, it went into the chef, the chef prepared the fish fillet, and they came back and there was a serving platter where both of these pieces of fish were sitting on the platter, and the waiter gave it to the one man. Now, the one piece of this fillet was smaller than the other one. So, the man took immediately the spoon, and he uh, he served the smaller piece to his friend. Well, of course, his friend protested against it. He says, what are you doing well said the man what's the problem here he said you've given me the smaller piece why didn't you give me the big piece the man with the serving platter in his hand looked at him he said well what would you have done he said well i would have given you the big piece he says now i've got the big piece thank you very much now that's a little bit of a humor way of trying to explain this but this is what we often do we look at the best for ourselves we need to get the biggest piece and not the other person we need to be exalted a little bit more than the other person and we find and and like i say in the book of proverbs that this is one of the things that god hates is self-exaltation it is self-serving it is me myself and i and John writes about this. He says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and listen now, the pride of life. He mentions three things there. He says, this is in the world. It is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And we see this so very often. If you walk into a bookstore and you walk through the the books and you come to the management books, and next to it you find the self-help books, you will find a lot of books addressing this. You know, become the number one. Be better than the person next to you. These books is to improve yourself, to have a higher esteem, a higher ambition. So that's what the world preaches. I work in the secular world. I know of the corporate world and I work in the corporate world. And this is the message that comes out. Be the best. Go for the top price and do introspection and you know find within yourself the power to drive you and to excel amongst others. That's the message of the world. That is the success of the world. But yet... John says it right here. He says, that is the things of the world. And then I find it so amazing that we find these things even in the church of Christ, in our churches. People somehow don't make it in the world. But once they come into the church environment, they want the top position in the church. They want to be the one who makes the calls. You know, I'm the pastor. I'm the sole authoritative voice in this place. And everybody who comes into the church needs to listen to me because I am the pastor. Some churches have got senior pastors who's got a little bit more authority and more power than the pastor. Some churches even have bishops. And the bishop is the one. You know, if the bishop walks through the door, whoa, you know, this is the high and mighty person walking in. And what about the self-proclaimed prophets and and apostles, self-proclaimed, I should say? They come in and they walking around as everybody needs to kiss the ring or bow the bow the head or or know that authority has walked into the church. You see, there's a lot of infighting going on in churches for power. In my life, I've uh, been privileged to do to pioneer a few churches and to be a pastor of a few churches. And I've seen it with my own eyes how people would come into the church. And you're always careful. You're always careful when new people come in. And I've seen it. I've experienced it. There are some of those people come in and the only thing they want is to be the power of the church or the voice of the church. Let me just say... That's not a vocation that you can do. That's a calling from God. I'll just leave you with those words. But we find this that John talks about here in the church. He says those things belong in the world, not in the church. And what is it? The pride of life. The first thing there in Proverbs that says that God hates. But we have also see these things in the Bible. We learn from this. Remember uh, Pharaoh when the nation was there in Israel, in Egypt and Moses came before him and he says, you need to let the people go. You know what Pharaoh's words were? He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who, do, who does he think he is? Well, I think you and I know what's happened with Pharaoh. What about Nebuchadnezzar? You know that great king who had the biggest kingdom at his time in the world? Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar was there. And of course, he was the biggest of his time. But whilst walking there in Daniel chapter 4, whilst walking through the beautiful gardens of Babylon, he added over his mouth these words. He said, is not this great Babylon? Look at the place. It's so fantastic and, and great that I have built Oh, me, myself and I. Can you see, can you feel the swelling in his heart as he says this? Which I myself has built for a royal dwelling. Not only did I build this magnificent place, but it's for a royal dwelling. Who was the royalty at that time? It was him. Me and myself. He says, who is uh, 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 by might and by power for honor and for majesty. The very next verse, a voice came from heaven and it said to that man, that mighty king, that your kingdom has been taken away from you. He got so mad that he went and he lived with wild beasts in the wilderness. You see, God hates pride and um, these are things of the world. Uh, James writes about this in chapter 4 verse 6. He says, Therefore, He says, and this is God that says this, He resists the proud. He resists them, but He gives grace to the humble. Now, that's just the foundation that I wanted to lay before we get into our narrative. As you remember, we are walking with Jesus, so excited about it, through the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus used every circumstance, opportunity, to teach the disciples, how to be a child of God, how to grow in the Spirit and in faith, not only them, but you and me as well. So let's open up again in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to see from verse 35. Remember last week we said that Jesus went ahead of them. They were amazed by this and that Jesus was with them. They were afraid of the unknown and also of the known, but Jesus, he calmed them down. Now, as they kept on walking, this is now what's going to happen. Mark chapter 10, 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Wow, that's a big ask. Think for yourself. Somebody comes up to you and without qualifying what they're going to ask, they say to you, I want you to give me whatever I ask. Well, certainly if my children came to me and they asked me that question, I'm going to be a little bit, whoa, 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 stop your horses there. Let's qualify what you want. Certainly if they're young, I'm not going to give them everything they ask. There's certain things that they, you know, it's going to damage them. But here we find these two men coming to him. Now, let me read to you the King James version of this. Because there's a word that comes out here, which I want to show you. In Mark chapter 10.35 in the King James Version, he says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would, that thou shouldest, I'm doing my best to give you that, that, that King James language here, okay? That thou shouldest do for us, now listen, whatsoever we shall desire, Wow, there comes the word there. And I personally think this is the better word that fits in this passage. Not whatever we ask. I think the King James has got it right here. Because it uses there the Greek word now, iteo. Now, iteo means a craving, one of the meanings. So in other words, they come to Jesus and say, We've got a craving and we, we want you to give us whatever we ask for you to satisfy this craving. Massive call. But let me say to you, if we sit here today, because we've got the privilege of the New Testament, and we point finger at James and John, hold your horses right there. Because, my friend, I hear this so often of Christians today. I listen when people ask the Lord, when they pray for the Lord. Christians today do exactly the same what these men were doing back then. Lord, oh, just give me everything I desire. It comes out in their prayers. Now, a desire is something that you want. It's not necessarily what you need. And there's a vast gap between wants and wants and needs. God will always provide. Listen to me. God will always provide to your needs. That's established. Read through Matthew chapter 6, 7. Read through your Bible. God cares for His children. My children, when they grew up, we've had hard and tough times sometimes. They will tell you, but every single day of their life, I and my wife, my wife and I, we gave them what they needed. Sometimes we couldn't give them what they wanted. And here the disciples come to them and they say to Jesus, we, <coughs> we, want to, we want you to give us whatever we crave, whatever we crave. Now let it be known that sin comes when we take these cravings and these desires and we try to fulfill them without God. Let me say that again, that sin comes into our life. You can measure it down, generally measure it down to this, that sin comes when you take these cravings that you have and you want to fulfill them without God. And this is what we're going to see here. Now let's continue now. Because we're going to see Jesus' reaction. Verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Very calm. They said to him, grant us that we may sit one at your right hand and the other on your left in glory. So where does this come from? Well, obviously, they were walking with Jesus. And they've heard Jesus talk about... The kingdom of God and I preached about this a few weeks ago they heard Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven a kingdom hello there is the first pointer there but not only that in Mark chapter 9 also preached on that you remember that when they walked they had a dispute amongst themselves when they said who's the greatest disciple who's the greatest amongst us And Jesus overheard this and he gave them a message. He taught them that it's not necessarily who's the greatest. It's the one who serves. You see, it's upside down. So this was in the back of their minds as well. But then if you remember the rich young man, which again, you can go and listen to the sermon When he came to Jesus, the rich young ruler, he said, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, hold the law. And he says, well, I've done that from childhood. And then Jesus said, go away and sell everything you have. And the young man went away weeping. He was crying. Well... Jesus turned to them and he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into heaven. This really put a spin into the heads of the the disciples because they thought, well, if you're rich, that shows that God's blessed you. But now there's a different thing here. And then Peter comes to Jesus and he says to him, this is really interesting for us because if rich people can't be saved or if they can't enter the kingdom of, or if it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle or all of these blessings, if if they can't, what about us? We've left everything for you. Now, Mark wrote a little bit about it and Jesus said, don't worry, there is a blessing come for you. But I want to pick up on something Matthew said about it, because that's going to explain why James and John is asking what they're asking. Matthew 19:27. Then Peter answered, said to him, this is now after the young man is gone. He says, see, we have left all and followed you. We've given up everything. Therefore, what shall we have? It, it comes back to our message, me, myself and I. What will I What will I get out of this? What, what are we going to get out of serving and following you? So Jesus said to him then in verse 28, and this is critical. Now, the fact of the matter is, Mark did not write this, but Matthew elaborated on it. The reason for that is, I believe that Mark was writing more to the Gentiles and not Matthew. So Matthew gives us a little bit more. And I believe... This was lying on the heads of James and John when they came to Jesus and asked Him this question, that they may sit on His left and His right hand. Let me read it to you. So Jesus said to them, to to Peter, Assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man, Him, Jesus, sits on the throne of His glory, You who have followed me, meaning all of the disciples, Peter, James, John, all of them, Thomas, you name them. What does he say? You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. And what will you do? Listen, Jesus' own words, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 thrones james and john overheard this they they heard what jesus was saying whoa these are positions now now the game has just intensified now this was after they had that great debate who was the greatest within them was still this rude bubbling up there, of being the greatest. Now Jesus was telling them, there's going to be the decisions. And not only is it, it's judging decisions. So Jesus brought it into a court scene where the court sits, where there's a judge. Now there's going to be 12 judges with Jesus or with God. So he brings it into this session of a court. Now, if you go back to what James and John are asking They are asking it exactly in that court session. That's what they had in mind. What they wanted to have is they wanted to sit on the left and the right side. You see the penny dropped for them. Now, they also brought their mother into this. Because in Matthew, he says that their mother came with them. So what were they asking when they said to Jesus, Grant us that we may sit one at your right hand and the other on the left in your glory. What did they ask him? Just three things. There's three things they they asked him. First of all, they wanted to have supremacy. Supremacy. That means superiority. When you set out your twelve, we want to be number one and number two. Number one on the right hand, the hand of power, the second most powerful on the left hand. So they wanted to have that supremacy, the superiority. They wanted to have glory and honor that came by being, you know, lifted up. This is what they actually asked for. And so many people today want that. We started off by saying that. You know, in the world, it is a race to the top. And some people would tread on other people's heads to get to the top. And unfortunately, this is what they did. They were stamping on all of the other uh, disciples' heads to get to those two positions. So the first thing about this is that they wanted to have superiority, supremacy. The second one is they wanted to be, they wanted to have proximity. So they wanted to be the closest to Jesus. They wanted to be sit on his right and on his left side because he is such an important person. And <laughs> I've seen it so many, too many times in my life that if there's an important person that people hang around him to be seen with him, and that makes them in their minds important, this is exactly one of those things to be on the right and on the left. If you would have taken a photo of Jesus sitting in his glory and you would zoom in on him and the people right next to him, who would you see? You would see Jesus and you would see James and John in his proximity. That's what they've asked, and left and right. So the third thing is also what they wanted to have was power. Remember, they wanted to have this position to have that great power. And, and again, I bring it back to the fact that Jesus brought it into a, a judicial system, into a court system. And the ones who sit right in the middle is the one with the, the, the authority and the power and the two next to him. And then he, he branches out according to the world and the world system. And this is what they would have known. Look how they ask it: Grant us that we may sit one at your right, one at your left side. Like I have said, It is the two most powerful seats apart from the judge's seat in the court of law. Now, my dear friend, my brother, my sister, this is a selfish, a cold-hearted, self-centered, unsympathetic request from these men. Why would I say that? Because here is Jesus telling them That he's going to go to Jerusalem and die for sin, for the sinners. Here is Jesus pouring his whole life out. And all these men could think about is what? Me, myself and I. I want that position. I want that power. Now we know that God do not answer these prayers, do we? You know, if you pray for your cravings and for your desires. James chapter 4 verse 2. You lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight a war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive. Even if you do ask. Because you ask amiss. How? How can I ask amiss? That you may spend it on your pleasures. Your desires. So God does not answer that. But sometimes we do find in the Bible that God do allow some of these things to be answered. But this is only for the reason to punish people. Uh, Psalm 106 verse 13 They soon forgot His works. This is the nation. They did not wait for His counsel but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. They lusted. They had a craving. They had a desire. And remember what I said? Sin is when you take your craving and your desire and you do whatever you want to do to fulfill it without God, we find it here and tested God in the desert. And what did God do? He gave them their requests, but they sent leaners, but sent leaners to their souls. What does God then answer? What prayers does God answer? I think it's important to say this. 1 John chapter 5 verse 14 tells us, John says, now this is the confidence that we have in Him that whatsoever we ask, if we ask anything, now listen, according to His will, what will happen? He hears us. So we find this now with these disciples coming to Him. Let's continue in verse 38. Mark 10, 38. But Jesus said to them, do you not know what you ask? You you do not know what you ask. Are you, not, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Jesus turns around and He says to him, uh, Yeah, no, I know what you ask, but it's a big question you're asking. And you do not know what you actually ask. You see, then He brings in a cup. He says, Are you able to drink of the cup and be baptized with the baptism? I'm going to be baptized. Now, what cup is He talking about? The cup was common in Jewish uh, was a common Jewish metaphor for for either joy or for human sin, for wrath, for trouble. It was it was a metaphor between the two. In Psalm 23, verse five, you remember this? We sing a song about this. He says, "You prepare the table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over with what? With joy. So." When the Bible talks about the cup, it's either the cup of joy. The Jews, Jewish uh, uh, tradition would understand that. But it's also a judgment cup. A judgment against human sin. Psalm 75 verse 7. Uh, he says, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup. There is a cup and the wine is red. That means it boils now with wrath, with wrath of God. He says it is full, fully mixed and it pours it out. Surely its drink shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. So there is a cup, not the cup of joy, but the cup of wrath for the sin of man. Now, this is the cup that Jesus was talking about. You do not know what you ask because when you drink the same cup that I am drinking? You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying. He was praying to the Lord. He says, Let this cup you know go from me, the cup of wrath. Now he talks about baptism there as well, and it's not the water baptism. That's not what he refers to. Again, it comes back to the same thing. The the metaphor of the of the cup is also the metaphor excuse me here, of the baptism. The figure of baptism express also a troublesome time. Uh, Psalm 69 verse 2, he says, I sink deep in mire where there is no, no standing. I have come into the deep waters the, where the floods overflow me. The floods overflow me. You've got no power against it. You've got no resistance against it. You know, and this is what Jesus says to them. He says, this thing that's going to come over you, it's an overflowing of of trouble. Will you be able to drink that cup of trouble? And we saw that they did. James was killed. All of the disciples were killed for their faith. Uh, John, they tried to kill him, put him in a boiling pot of oil. He survived that they sent him to the Isle of Patmos. But these are the things that... The baptism of you know we use the phrase baptism of fire. What does it mean if you talk about a baptism of fire? Somebody starts a new job with a company, and they come back and, and the first day, and, and you say, "How did it go?" he said, "Man, that was a baptism of fire." What happened? I was just thrown into the deep end. Same thing. It was just overwhelming, and I had to I had to get through that. It was it was just overwhelming. Now Jesus is saying following Him, trying to sit on those two seats, will be a path of suffering. That's what He says here. Same that Peter writes to us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not think that it's strange concerning the fiery trails, which is to try you. The fiery trails that is going to, to try you. It's going to try your faith. As though some strange thing happened to you. It's nothing strange. It's the cup And the baptism. But rejoice in the extent that you will partake of Christ's sufferings. Hey, James and John, you want to sit on my left and my right side? You will have to partake in my sufferings. It's the same to us. It's the same to us today. We need to partake in these sufferings as well as the joy. Then when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now, let's continue and finish this morning on verse 39. You see, he said to them, I came to him, we want to sit in your both your left and your right hand side. He said to them, do you know what you're asking? You need to drink the cup and you need to be baptized. And they said to him in verse 39, we are able. We are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup and that I drink and with the baptism that, I, baptism, baptism that I'm baptized, with you will be baptized there's a lot of baptisms in that one verse get a little bit of I. twister a, a tongue twister out of that he says indeed that will happen and he did and it's happening to you and me as well now unfortunately for those who don't want to follow god they're going to drink out of the cup of wrath As a true child of God, as a true Christian today, you will drink out of the cup, and you will be baptized with this baptism that He's talking is over.whelmed the sufferings of Christ. Now, let me just give you a distinction here. When we go to Christ and we are born again, He's already drink the cup of wrath that God had for us for our sin. The cup now is a cup of struggling in his struggles and it will be even more so in future verse 40 but to sit on my right hand on my left hand it's not mine to give but it is for those for whom it is prepared so Jesus said to them your request he didn't deny the request he didn't say no there's not going to be anyone on my left and my right but he said that is not for me to come out here. That was not his purpose. To come and get number one, number two, number three, number four. And let me just throw this in there quickly. God do not have uh, a favorite children. Favorites. No, no. And if somebody said, I'm God's blue eye. Blue eye girl. I'm daddy's girl. That's, that's not happening. You know, that's God's not. He, he's not a, a respecter of person, the Bible says. So Jesus did not dispute the fact that there was going to be a, a place on his right and his left, but it wasn't for their ambition. Verse 41, And then they, and when they the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased of James and John. I find this absolutely fascinating. So James and John came to ask Jesus. Obviously, this conversation is overheard by all of them. And then <laughs> they were greatly displeased. Why would you think they were greatly displeased? They, look, I can just imagine they didn't even hear what Jesus might have said about the sufferings. They were greatly displeased because they are looking for those positions. They had a debate about it just a few chapters before. Hello? They wanted to have the left and the right seat. And who does James and John think, who who does they think they are? You see, again, me, myself and I, that pride. Who do they think they are better than me? Come on. Better than Come on. So they were greatly displeased. I find this fascinating. Verse 41 and... And when the ten heard it, they became so offensed by it. Verse 42, But Jesus called them to himself and said to him, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord over them, and the great ones exercises authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desire to be great, become great among you shall be my servant. Jesus is doing it great here. He's bringing in the world. He shows them the world's model. He says, do you not know that those who who consider themselves rulers over the Gentiles, what do they do? They lord over them and they exercise authority over them. We see this in the world system. But then Jesus says the key word here for me in verse 43, yet, It shall not be so amongst you. In other words, the church should not be ruled like the world. And this is where I've got a little bit of a problem with a few churches in the world. They've become worldly churches. And we've seen this. The books came out. They came out, you know, how to become, you know, we need to run a plan, a worldly plan in the church. Now we've got CEOs and senior pastors and bishops, and they all rule over the churches with an iron hand. I can tell you, you know, plenty, plenty of experiences we've had with couples, you know, where, you know, the, the pastor has got all say over their lives, over their lives, whether they have children, where they work, how to spend their money. Uh, there's one example where the pastor actually came and he said to the wife, That the Lord told him that she should divorce her husband. He did nothing. Nothing. Both of them were, well, they proclaimed to be Christians. They got divorced. Because he exercised great authority over them. Yet Jesus said, it shall not be so amongst you. Let it be known that God's model is eldership in the church. Not authority. The, the head of the church is Jesus Christ. And he says, do not let it be so among you. There's not who's the biggest news to tell us. And, and then he elaborates in verse 44. And whoever amongst you to desires to be first shall be the slave of all. He's been talking about this now for the last few weeks. Serve. Don't be served. Now he uses the word slave. You'll be a slave of all the, you know, serving others. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. This is why Mark is showing us the servant king. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Ministry, in other words, is what you give and not what you receive. And man, do we see that. You should just measure ministries in the world on these words that I've just said to you. Ministry is is all about what you give, not what you receive. Jesus gave everything, even His life. This is what He says here. Become a slave. Serve others. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and even gave his life as a ransom. You know, that's what he gave. Let that be the standard of ministry, not to receive. I see too many, too many ministries, too many churches where the pastors and the leaders is just in it to receive Uh, a lot of it. What? To receive what? It varies from accolades, it varies from uh, accolades, power, uh, money. More status. That's not what it is. And Jesus gives us this lesson. So in closing. We started with pride. I read to you the Proverbs. This chapter in Proverbs. Where there's seven things that God hates. The Lord hates. The first one is pride. We, We started with that. Now the question is how do you deal with that. And it's very clear in the last verse. That we've read today that the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. So what is the solution to pride? It is just this. You have to die in yourself and serve others. May the Lord bless you, may He keep you, and may His Word dwell richly within your hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Word. We pray and ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will enlighten our hearts and minds with this. And Father, even if you find a small piece of pride in your lives, convict you with your Holy Spirit through this message. In Jesus' name, Amen.